Hello and welcome back to Bourbon Barrel Talk. I'm your host, Scott Minton. Today, we have co-host uh, Matt Jasnoff, Toby Hatfield, and our special guest is uh, Mr. Josh Quinn. He is the owner and proprietor of Boone County Distillery. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm great. Quick correction, there are two of us. There's Jack Wells. I'm a co-founder and co-owner. My bad. Co-founder and co-owner. Right, co-founder. Yeah. So, uh, if you don't mind, how did you get here, Josh? That's a that's <clears throat> it's an interesting story. I hope everybody's got a glass of bourbon in front of them or got a little drive time and windshield time. I'm happy to, t- to tell you this story. So, I just want to first off and uh, tell you that I'm an average guy, you know, just trying to chase the American dream like a lot of us are. And this all started with a journey really over 20 years ago. Um, I simply followed some great advice my parents gave me, and that was say thank you to people, be nice to people, be kind to people, you know, just things we're all taught. Um, I was at a bar. Uh, funny enough, I, I play the bagpipes, a little funny oh, tid- wow. tidbit about me, right? Hmm. Um, I was at an Irish bar that was opening in Covington, Kentucky, and uh, some of my counterparts were drinking and eating too much, and when I'm working or playing an instrument or whatever, this podcast, I don't, I don't drink. Right, because I'm in work mode. Um, I thought they were taking advantage, and I went up to the manager, who I thought was the manager, uh, standing on the corner. He was dressed in all the bar apparel, and I went up to say thank you and apologize for my counterparts. I thought they were taking advantage of him, and it turned out he was the owner, and his name is Jack Wells, who is my business partner today in this venture. Uh, but the conversation started with me taking that initial step to say thank you, to apologize for some things. But he was gracious. Uh, we hit it off. We lived in the same community. We had some similar interests. And 20 years later, we've, we've been you know fantastic, very close friends for a long time. He's an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm not. Uh, funny enough, my background is in law enforcement. Uh, his is in the uh, exporting international coal business. Um, but we, we got together 20 years ago in... Uh, you know, that's that's kind of the story of it. Um, this idea started maybe 2012 or 13 in his basement. Uh, like we're all doing, well, most of us are doing here, you three are doing it, I'm not. But we were in the basement and we were drinking and I do remember what we were drinking. It was the Woodford Reserve. Uh, was it the, the four barrel one where they had the four finish? It was four, the whiskey had gone through four different barrels. Um, it was a fantastic bottle, about $100 a bottle. Yeah. Uh, I think we finished off probably the whole thing between right. two of us. So you can imagine our state of mind. So an episode of, of Moonshiners, I'm sorry, a commercial <laughs> for Moonshiners comes on. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not feeling much pain. And my business partner, Jack, is, you know, he's an entrepreneur. The coal business was in a down stage. He's got an active brain. He's looking to get into the next adventure. He looks up at the episode of Moonshiners or the commercial for it, and he says... And I got to say this, I can't yell it or express it or get the emotion that he can get into it. But he says, by God, if these guys can do it, we can do it. These dummies can do it. We can do it. Except he used more colorful language than that. I'm sure I'm going to violate. Don't be shy. Well, the FCC, I don't want to get fined and all that. So I'm worried about it. I don't know what I'm allowed to say. I'm not allowed to say. We are definitely uh, PG-13 or higher on this podcast. Yeah, okay. <laughs> We've got a mute button at some point if we really need to use it. Oh, we can go back and bleep it out. Okay, yeah, I got yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we see the episode, and he says, by God, uh, we can build a distillery. How hard can it be? And I thought, I don't know. Never done it before. 
So, you know, he's kind of a cowboy. The entrepreneurial spirit, they're cowboys, right? They are built different than other human beings. They build the cars that are driving it. They build cars as they're driving them. Rational people don't do that. They go to a car dealership. They inspect it. They want to see the warranty. Not him. He builds it as he's driving it. And he worries about all that other shit later. All right. We'll just figure it out. So two days later, he calls me and he says, uh, Josh, where are we at on the distillery project? And I actually blew him off. I thought, he's still drunk. Okay. So I tell him I'm working on it. And I blow him off. I hang the phone up. He calls me two weeks later and he says, where are we at on the distillery project? And I, you know, made the timeout sign with my hands, and I said, timeout, serious time between two friends. Are we real about the distillery project or no? And he said, look, and this is like the best piece of advice I can give anyone who's trying to chase that American dream. He said, asking questions doesn't cost any money. It's free to ask questions. And you just have to begin someplace. You just have to start. You just have to begin. And that's what we did. We just started asking questions, and then here we are, you know, millions of dollars later and hundreds of barrels of whiskey later that are aging in our warehouse, dealing with distributors and all kinds of different things. That's kind of how I got here. So we walked through the through the Rick House or warehouse and um, saw some cool things that you have going on and things like that. How many barrels do you think you have actually sitting in there today? Uh, the Rick House roughly is uh, 6,000-ish square feet. It's a state high hazard building. The number of barrels, you know, I haven't counted them in a while, uh, maybe a 1,000. And then we also, that's the whiskey that we've made on site. We make roughly about 300 barrels a year. That number fluctuates up and down. So we've been making it for four years, four and a half years. So I'm going to guess about a 1,000 barrels. And then we also have um, uh, a, a bunch of barrels that are being stored at MGP in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, the old Seagram's facility. Gotcha. That it between zero and five years old. And that was kind of the inspiration behind that piece was, you know, the 1833 product. and Yeah. So the uh, the MGP whiskey, and, and I w- would always uh, correct folks um, when they, the 1833 was not MGP whiskey. That's old Seagram's whiskey, gotcha. right? Big difference. Correct. It was distilled in uh, 2005 and 2006 when it was still Seagram's. Right. So that's something special we like to advertise from a distillery that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the master distiller and plant manager at that point was Larry Eversold, who was our primary consultant. He was the one who made that whiskey. He lives locally just down the road from where we're sitting. So a lot of things came together. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that that unique relationship with Larry obviously has helped springboard Boone County to where it is today. Uh, Matt, myself, Toby, we, we've all been big fans of it since it's come out. And it's really interesting how that, how that whole process started. Um, another deep thing is while we were talking, and if you don't mind, tell us a little bit more about it, but the Tanner's Curse and kind of that piece of where all that came from. Sure. So Tanner's Curse starts with really a story. So whenever, uh, as we chase this American dream, right, when you're trying to dream up uh, your identity, who do you want to be? When you decide you want to build a distillery, that's great, but um, you have an identity crisis. What's going to be the name of the distillery? What's our story? And if if you go back to that book, I think it's called Bourbon Empire, and I think it was Bill Samuels Jr. that made the comment that if you just find yourself, you know, an old picture of an old guy in a story, then then you've got it, some history. Well, we were fortunate enough in this community. We knew we wanted to build a distillery, but we had an identity crisis. We absolutely had no idea that the Boone County distillery ever existed. We we found that later. That was kind of build the cars you're driving at piece, right? 
um, the Tanner's Curse story. So Boone County has a great distilling history that actually predates uh, most of the history that you find in Kentucky. The difference is, is this isn't in the, the Amber Triangle, right, as you call it, the Louisville, right. Bardstown area and such. Um, it's arguable in some circles. You have Maysville, you know, that claims that they could be the birthplace or that was a, a large uh, piece of the bourbon history. And if you talk to Peter Pogue, who is one of the owners of it, he'll tell you that. Um, fantastic individual. It's got a great story to tell. But Boone County, Kentucky. Boone County, if you're not familiar with where it's located geographically, it is the northern tip of Kentucky, just across from Cincinnati on the Ohio River. The Ohio River flows between us. Uh, the Greater Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky International Airport is located here, just to give your listeners a sense of reference of where we're at. The old distillery sat on the uh, banks of the Ohio River, just across almost from Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, where Seagram's is at, or MGP today. So Tanner's Curse. Go back to the year 1885. 1785, I'm sorry. 1785. So my question is, to any listener or to you guys, in 1785, physically, where were we? Today, where we're sitting, were we in Kentucky or was it something else, another state? And I can answer that. So this was actually Virginia. A horrible trivia, people, by the way. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. I know. In Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, this was this was Virginia. I thought you were going to say, like, Hoosier occupied northern <laughs> Kentucky or something. Who knows? Yeah, occupied Kentucky. <laughs> So it was, and I don't know. There's a Kentucky came in the in, in the play in what year? There, there's a bourbon out there with the the, the 1797 or 1792. Yeah, yep, 1792. So 1785. John Tanner and his family they move from basically what we know as Virginia today, the state. All right, the, the generally speaking, the Richmond area, the center of the state. They move west to what they call the frontier. This was the American frontier then. It was wild country. All right, it was. It was uh, uh, American Indians, Native Americans. They had they went by other names also, savages, right? That's what's written in the history books. I mean, if you think about it, we kind of invaded their land at a stage, right? Right. So they come over and they settle on the banks of the Ohio River um, in Peter, what is today Petersburg, Kentucky. But what they don't know is they have settled right smack dab on top of an ancient Indian burial ground. Hmm. They didn't know that. And uh, pissed the Indians off, right? And like that. So John Tanner and his family, what kind of people were they? They weren't distillers, but it's important to know the prehistory. Um, and I'll describe the label to you in a second to tie that history together. John Tanner was a Baptist minister. Uh, he rode with a group called the Circuit Riders. And it is said he preached the gospel in the northern Kentucky, southwest Ohio, southeast Indiana area. And it is said that he had saddlebags. That's what the lore says. And it was a rifle or shotgun in one saddlebag and a Bible in the other. So Tanner, uh, John Tanner had several kids, five or six. He had a cursed life. So Tanner's Curse, the product that we sell, is a white whiskey, right? It is a, uh, a bourbon distilled. Uh, it, it is a, it's our bourbon before it goes into the barrel. Yeah, so your new make? It's our new make, right. And you do a rye and a bourbon you make, correct? Yep, we have rye and bourbon. Yeah. Um, so these guys, uh, he sits, he, he builds a house, builds a cabin. Um, it's called Tanner Station, and he had an underground tunnel that led all the way out to the Ohio River, but it wasn't the underground tunnel you're thinking of. It was to escape the Indians and the wild beast. 
So the product that we have, we call it Tanner's Curse. Now, who the hell would want to drink something that's cursed? Nobody. Crazy people. Crazy people. <laughs> and white whiskey. If you drink white whiskey, you're a cursed human, human being to begin with. Right. Because nobody likes it. No. Right. Um, but we want to respect the history. So there's a long story that goes along with it. But at the end of the day, we wanted to respect John Tanner and his family. He had several kids that were kidnapped by Indians, killed by wild beasts and such. So it's simply to respect history. And that's really the starting point. Because you have an identity crisis, you got to have a foundation for a brand. And that, that's really it. And then everything else builds off of that. So I have a quick question. Um, one of the things that you see on almost everything in the gift shop and everything like that, it says uh, made by ghosts. Can you tell the story uh, on, on the whiskey made by ghosts? Yeah. So made by ghosts. <clears throat> Whenever you're creating a brand, um, everybody's got a catch line, right? A Coke and a what? Smile. Right. Coke and a smile. Everyone's got going to be bourbon. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, bourbon. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, so you, you kind of think, what is going to be your catchphrase? You know, what is going to get people talking about you? And, you know, there was somebody out there. There's a politician. I don't think they were allowed to mention his name in any circles anymore. But any press is good press, right? So you just want people talking about you. And we had a couple of options initially. It was like America's Artifact Distillery because we had some history but America's Artifact Distillery was like, okay, it's too strong. That's like saying that we're like the most historical thing in the country. That that's, may or may not be the case. Um, Made by Ghosts came up. Why? Just simply to honor history. It's not saying that we have you know apparitions here that make our ghost, and you're going to see a ghost here. That's that's not it. That would be cool though. It would be cool, right? Right. And maybe for Halloween we can do that. You know, maybe for, yeah, something, we can come up with out. something. Smoke machine or something. I don't know. <laughs> Coming back for Halloween, guys. Fog machine. <laughs> Fog machine. That's it. Fog machine. Uh, made by Ghost simply to honor history. Uh, that's all that that really references. Some of the earliest pictures that we had found from the old distillery had that sepia tone color, that kind of faded yellow, antique color. And then the eyes of the people that were in the picture, you know, you can imagine an old picture that's gray. You look at their pupils and you're like, my God, they're possessed. They're dead. I can't see the color. It's just black. And it looked kind of ghostly. And uh, Made by Ghosts is what the, the designers came up with, and we kind of went with it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I actually like it. It's one of the, the one of the fun things that I see. You know, when I when we talk about it, I'm like, hey, this is Made by Ghosts, you know, that type <laughs> of thing. And and, it, and it's funny how the, the history of Boone County is actually so rich, but you all had to research it, find it out, things like that. It wasn't like it was innately, you know, born with you guys. It's, you know, you're you know, seventh generation, you know, distiller or things to that nature. But, but there's such a rich history here. Um, we had a very similar conversation to one of the distilleries that we met with in Southern Indiana. And, and most people don't realize that Indiana has such a rich distillery history as well. So it's kind of neat that you have that piece of it. Well, I think that to play on what you just said, Seagram's, I think was created in what, 1857. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys have like one of the oldest distilleries in, in the country. And, you know, the old Seagram's facility or MGP, you know, I, I think back in the day they were demonized a little bit. But today, I mean, it, it is, quite frankly, the rye whiskey, the 95%, 5% uh, rye that they make, that's a Larry Eversold recipe. He didn't come up with it, but he perfected it. That's what he'll tell you. It is the best rye whiskey in the world, bar none, period, drop the mic, walk off the stage. Yeah. I, I make would. a really weird noise, by the way, if you did that. <laughs> What's that? I make a really weird noise if you did Just that. By dropping the mic. <laughs> Drop the mic. Yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, so uh, 
what made you outside of you know the whole jack sitting in the basement really go back and think about opening a distillery what made us think about it you know what made you think that this was going to be a good idea nothing (laughs) (laughs) because let's be honest a bunch of guys drinking in the basement they're like let's make booze (laughs) Woo! (laughs) we've all thought that i know what what, what could go wrong right you know, it's funny. I was making Bananas Foster for a, uh, a Fat Tuesday thing at work the other day, and they wanted me to do that, you know, on a hot plate in the office. And they said, will you light the rum on fire when you do it? And I said, you know, no, it's probably a bad idea at the workplace. Alcohol, A, B, burning it. Maybe I'll do that at home. So I did. I bought a couple bottles of rum, <laughs> banana rum and white rum, right? Poured it in the pot, got out my torch, lit it up. That's stupid shit right there. Do not mess with alcohol and fire anywhere just a bad idea i mean it's a fun idea but it can't be a bad idea yeah um so how did it come to fruition Uh, faith i mean it's like i'm telling you it's 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 the entrepreneurial spirit um for a guy like me you're just chasing the american dream and you're hoping to get a little piece of the pie i don't want the whole pie i just want a little piece of it and i will tell you that i'm a bit envious of people that uh we all have friends that perhaps are second, third, fourth generation in a family business, whether they are in construction for a living, whether they make whiskey, whether they do whatever. We all have people like that. And I will tell you, I get jealous. I wish that I had some of that. But there's a side of me that's very glad that I've blazed my own path. I do have some friends, and when I see them at, in these great positions with family businesses, I always think to myself, okay, he or she was born on third base. All you got to do is walk one direction across home plate. You don't have to run. You just got to walk, and you're going to make it. Unless you're a real dummy, and then you decide you're going like, <laughs> to you know, run to the outfield or something and go off the rails. So what made us do it? I think it's just that my business partner, Jack, with the entrepreneurial spirit, when you think about the money involved, and I have a great phrase. It's my favorite phrase to use anytime I'm asked this question. If you want to get into the distilling business, there's really probably three kinds of distilling businesses out there. There's father and son that do it in the backyard because they think it's fun and they want to have memories together, but they're not going to make any money. Then you have people perhaps like us that want to build on a bigger scale. You, of course you want to keep your business going. You want to make money. We've all got to live And either you haven't decided whether you want to keep the business and make it a legacy business, or you want to flip it and sell it one day. Or you just have the people that are the corporate mongers and they build, you know, on the, the scale of the big guys that are out there. So what pursues to do it? Just chasing a dream. I mean, that's it. Find yourself a rich friend. That's my message to people. You know, hold on, I'd say it loud enough. I kind of squeezed it in there. Let me say it again. Will Jack be my friend? <laughs> yeah, could Jack be all of our friends? Find yourself a rich friend. You are going to need it. This is not a cheap business. <laughs> So, hey, uh, distribution is also another question, you know, um, especially when you look at distilleries of your size. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are you all currently distributing at? Are you guys just in Kentucky, southern Indiana? Are you guys, where, where are you at? Where can people find you? So, the be- one of the best places to find us, I would always encourage people, if you are in the northern Kentucky area, the Cincinnati area, the southeast Indiana area, perhaps you're on the Bourbon Trail and you're looking for a unique experience whether it's going to the big guys and visiting the big bourbon trail or you're on the craft bourbon trail, 
come see one of the smaller folks. Come to Northern Kentucky. It's a great community. It's wonderful. You guys have made it up here. There's a lot of great culinary experiences. There's great distilleries. Um, I would want you to come see us. We sell the whiskey in the distillery. Come to the distillery. And if I can make a shameless plug, it's off exit 178, I 75, just about a mile off the exit. Open, open Tuesday through Sunday. Um, anyway, we sell everything here. You can always find the single barrel products here, generally speaking. If you go to your local liquor store and you're looking for whether, you know, the, the, I suppose now sort of famous 1833, 12, 13, or 14 year old whiskey. So good. It is. And we always had it here for the most part. Retailers will hide it. They'll give it to their best customers. They'll put it for lottery picks or what have you. We generally always had it here. So call the distillery and ask. We still have today single barrel, uh, the 45% wheat product we have for sale here that is upwards of 120 proof. We have plenty of bottles of that for sale. So you can come to the distillery. Um, you can also hit local retailers, states. Uh, we're obviously in Kentucky, uh, Ohio. Ohio is a state-controlled system, so we're in various parts of the state, Cleveland, Dayton, Cincinnati, and the state is expanding us a little bit. Um, you can find us in Indiana. You can find us in parts of uh, New York. You can find us in Georgia, uh, Tennessee we just opened up in, so some of those states. Now, there are various retailers. That's up to those distributors. Uh, you would have to call the distributor or call us, and we might be able to figure that out for you. So one question I always ask uh, or like to ask is, what do you think about the bourbon industry today and how different it is just from uh, 10 years ago? We talked earlier about how certain products uh, five years ago was readily available, and now you're having to get into a lottery or get in line to, to buy a product. What do you, what do you think about that, and, and do you think that's going to continue? I have a love-hate relationship with that question. <laughs> I hate it because I'm an average guy like the rest of us. You know, a dollar's worth a dollar to me. So I do remember the days when Elmer T. Lee was $28 a bottle. I remember the days when Blanton's was forty nine ninety nine a bottle or maybe 55 I remember when the Old Forester birthday bourbon was $49 and it would sit on shelves forever and you could find it. When it started disappearing, of course, that hurt all of our feelings. When the prices became three, four, in some cases, 10 times of what it was really valued at retail, and we all hate that. You know, we, we don't want to spend $100, two, three, dollars $400 for that product. That's as consumers. Now, and the other piece of it is a distillery co-founder, co-owner. It's whatever the market will bear. So on that piece of it, I'm happy. So to give you an example... When our first 1833 product was released, it was $45 a bottle, and we caught so much flack for that because it was made in Indiana, it was 10 years old, nobody knew who Boone County was, and $45 was too much. And they would say it didn't taste good. Obviously. Obviously. So you put it in a single-barrel version, and it's barrel-proof, and it's 12 years old, and all of a sudden, they're buying it by the case. I don't know what changed. It's the same whiskey. It's amazing what a label does to a bottle. Yeah, it's the same whiskey. It's just two years older because we couldn't sell enough of it when it was 10 years old. And you put it single barrel, barrel strength. And all of a sudden, they're coming into the distillery. And I think it was $60 a bottle then. They come into the distillery, and they would buy it a case at a time. I think it's six bottles a day or six bottles per person per transaction is what the state says. And we couldn't sell enough of it. We had to slow the sales down. So how do you slow sales down? 
raise the price. That price, I'm embarrassed to say truthfully, but it went to $200 a bottle in the distillery and we had to limit it one bottle per person. We even had to worry about theft. People would walk in off the street and, you know, they would shield their back towards the, the gift shop worker and they would, you know, put a bottle in their coat like they're stuffing steaks in the grocery store in their shirt or something. But it was, you know, so that's kind of what happened. Um, so where do I think it's going? I think at some stage I have seen, you know, just from the articles I read, I haven't heard of any more distilleries being built. I can tell you in Northern Kentucky, there are a couple distilleries, distillery ideas that have not come to fruition. I, I know one very specifically in Covington that has completely fallen apart. Um, I know that uh, there's some other experiences folks have been working on that haven't quite worked out yet. So I think that golden era of building distilleries is over with. I think folks are enjoying the ride because I think the bourbon industry, from what we've been told, is a slow, it's gentle rolling hills, all right, for popularity. It's not steep peaks and valleys. I think at some stage, maybe it's 10, 15 years away, I don't know. I don't think it's any time close. I think you will see a bubble, and I think you will see an oversupply. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this. How many, how many barrels of bourbon did the Kentucky Distillers Association say that there were in Kentucky, their last <coughs> report? There's 4 million people in Kentucky, and I know that there's at least a barrel, I think two barrels per person. There's two now. barrels per yeah. person is what I thought it was. Yeah. It was close to 8 million. I yeah. think it was a little over it, actually. So you have to think, if there's 8 million barrels of bourbon, people are making all this bourbon, there's going to be an oversupply at some stage. And hopefully that oversupply drops the price. Now, as a consumer, I want to see the price drop. Right. As a distillery owner, I want to see the, the, the ride continue. you got to find that happy medium, though. Well, and you hedge your bet, right? Right. So I'll throw a question out. How do you hedge your bet? How do you ensure your survival when that happens? I can answer that. So kind of what we've done, we have hedged our bet. Our whiskey that we are making now, our bourbon, is four and a half years old roughly. But we're not going to sell it yet because we want the consumer, we want to be known for quality products. We want to be known for great flavor. I mean, that's really what we're trying to do here is make world-class whiskey and continue to supply the market with it. We don't want to throw out 1833 and run out of it. Right. And then you have to miss it for a while. Which is, I do currently miss it. <laughs> so we have a source supply, and I'm very upfront about this. It's from MGP. We have a, uh, an unlimited supply of whiskey from them. It's zero to five years old. And then we're going to have our own whiskey. So if the bourbon bubble pops at some stage, well, then you just quit buying from MGP and you rely on what you've made. Right. Or you could spend all your money on infrastructure, new stills and such, but then you don't have the capacity to run them or the money to run them. Right. That's, that's the thing. So how many employees do you all currently have here at Boone County? Am I supposed to know the answer to that? Rough estimate. Oh, rough, rough estimate. estimate. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to have you, the exact number. You I mean, it probably I'm, changes weekly, right? Uh, I don't know. You would think I would know that number. Um, <laughs> well, give or take, yeah. plus or minus. Yeah, yeah, give or Okay, so in serious, serious time, there's a lot of folks who that are involved with the business from day one, such as myself. Um, I'm not an employee. I don't count. My business partner, Jack, who runs most of the day-to-day -day operations, is not an employee, uh, co-owners. But right. the people that are paid, you know, roughly... <clears throat> Roughly six full-time people. A lot that there's a lot that rolls. And, and a lot and, and part-time people. The part-time tour guides and such, you know, add another six to eight on top of that. So 
it's a very it's a, it is a fluctuating number it moves tops 15 people but the full-time people on salary and staff every day you've got kurt seipel who you know very well our sales uh, person yeah. uh, we have a back office person uh, michael who does most of our ttp compliance he blends our gin he was our first distiller he's moved up in the company um, jack and myself who who do our thing uh, two full-time distillers so you know it's the number kind of fluctuates yeah that's i mean it's an awesome operation and i mean everyone should be fortunate enough to be able to get it off the ground running like you guys did so yeah. and you and you make some pretty good whiskey i'm not gonna lie it's kosher whiskey did you know that yes i did know that actually <clears throat> so as i said we want to be known for quality when we chose to become a uh, certified through the orthodox union is a kosher facility if you have if you've never dealt with the kosher community and the Jewish community. This all started with one of our distributors. I believe it's Allied Distributing in New York. Uh, Shy is, is his name. Uh, he demanded for his community that was Brooklyn and Queens. He said, look, if it's not kosher, they're not going to buy it. Right. So we jumped into it, and we reached out to Orthodox Union, and we signed a contract with them. They really have to come out here and inspect everything. If you have the seal of approval from the OU, the Orthodox Union, if those rabbis sign off on your stuff, you have the ultimate seal of quality assurance. I would challenge you the next time you or your listeners, or your audience is out any place, the grocery store, at a fast food restaurant, <clears throat> with a look on the back of a ketchup packet, if you see the OU, it guarantees quality, period. Now, one of the uh, things that you did when um, just a few minutes ago is you poured us a, a small sample. Um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about what you poured us and and I'd like to get Scott and Matt's opinion on what they thought of it. Sure. So we poured about one ounce of our 45% wheat bourbon. It was roughly 117 proof, single barrel, barrel strength. The whiskey is six and a half years old in the mash bill. 45% wheat. It's the highest wheat content on the market for bourbon. 51% uh, corn and 4% malted barley. It is a product that we sourced several years ago from MGP. So it's not a Seagram's product. It is an MGP product. We bought these barrels. We really bought 68 of them, I think was the number, before we built the distillery. We thought we'd have something unique for the customers. That uh, we paid a cheaper price for them, and I'll give you the price. It was eleven hundred dollars a barrel back then, and we have waited until we thought that it tasted right. Six and a half years seemed to be the sweet spot for us so far. I suppose we could have let it age more. The good news is we haven't released too many of these barrels, no. so we still have a bunch back in the Rick House that will be continued to release as we sell through this. So. At some stage, we might stop the sales and let it age seven or eight, nine years. You know, we don't know. What do you guys think? Do you like it? I, I do. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of weeded bourbons. You can't really go wrong with them. Um, you know, I don't I don't love a, too much of a corn taste in my bourbon, so I do appreciate a little bit of a weeder. I mean, it's easy to drink. It, it certainly doesn't taste like 117. I'll give you that much. Mm. Um, I mean, no ice, no water, just... Give me a no, straw, and I'll be happy it's with really it. Really good, smooth pour. Um, other than the one that I sipped that went down the wrong pipe there a minute ago. <laughs> yeah, you, you turned bright red. 
I was I like, thought I was, we had a problem. I was taking a, a I was taking a sip and I was like, whoa, that went down the wrong pipe. And I'm like, I don't know how to conceal that. So I mean, I, I'll tell you, it is it is an overbearing, you know, wheat up front, which I I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And you have some nice flavors in there. You have some nice kind of earthy tones. It's got um, a great finish. It's long. Like it, it was a lot longer than I was anticipating for only being a six and a half. You know your yeah your product, but I, I bought two of these. The, the, the one and we drank one of them. Day, one of them's gone. <laughs> we did drink one. So of them. I have one of them left. So uh, I, I've been a big fan. Like I said, you know, I, I like what Boone County does. You know, and, and and I love the fact that you guys are no hidden secrets. You know, hey, we, we've sourced a lot of this stuff. This is what we're doing. This is how it looks. And 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 obviously, you guys have really good palates because when you picked it, you, you picked a great product. It yeah. wasn't just you know. I think it's really good. You guys are relatable to a lot of us. You know, we're all everyone's working. We all enjoy whiskey. We all want to. We all wish to be those people that are like, ah, let's make some booze and sell it. Yeah, we may or may not have sent text messages within the last couple of days saying, "Why don't we start a whiskey company?" So I, I think that's funny that, that. Unfortunately, we don't have any rich friends. We do yeah. not have any rich friends. <laughs> we're looking though. <laughs> yeah. Up for hires, rich friend. Right. Any rich people listening to this podcast, please. <laughs> please, re- please reach out to us. Ed. <laughs> yeah. Please apply it. <laughs> now, one, one other thing that I want to bring up that for people coming in, uh, we've been, we came, actually uh, did a podcast uh, up in Covington maybe two months ago and we were driving back and we went ahead and swung by here and uh your gift shop is amazing it's it's a gorgeous gift shop it looks like something that would be really uh an entertaining experience to sit down and do a tasting with and you got plenty of products and and merch and things like that uh tell us a story about how you decided to build that and and make it look so wonderful because it's one of the best looking gift shops of uh, of the distillers we've been to Right. So I can tell you, if you look at the way that I'm dressed, your your audience can't see that, but you can visualize the way that I'm dressed. It's kind of atrocious, right? So you can tell I have no sense of design. Was your wife, I'm not, not, was your wife not up this morning? When she you wasn't up. I'm not even wearing the same shoes. I'm wearing different shoes, right? You, you can tell he's in law enforcement. That's what I will say. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. <clears throat> So my wife did not approve of anything that I'm wearing or the way that I appear at the moment. Which tells you that I had pretty much nothing to do with the design of the gift shop because it's beautiful. It's not something that I would do. Now, the whiskey, I do taste the whiskey. If you like the whiskey, I appreciate that. Unknowing to you at this point, I'll do the big reveal. I taste it all, right? And I will tell you that my comments on the weeded bourbon, my business partner gives me so much shit. This is like inside baseball stuff. This is the real stuff. When we do tasting notes, yeah, right? What do you all think about tasting notes? They're so subjective. Everyone, they're, everybody's really subjective. Right? Well, Absolutely, there's probably some things I can't say on here, and we'll get bleeped out later. But yeah, everyone has one, and not everyone's always right. So is is I, look, as I'm tasting the whiskeys, we all know it's good. You can't say the word smooth. You can't say it's good. You know, people don't. Just, we all get it, but sometimes people want to see notes. What's your palate like? I have a phrase or a, a word that I came up with for this, like marzipan, right? Oh my God. I don't know what the hell it means. I had to look it up because I'm not the, the jar for that. Huh? You're going to put a dollar in the jar every time yeah, you say that. Right, marzipan. I owe you a dollar. I don't have a dollar. <laughs> but it is, I don't even know what the word means. I had to look it up. It's like cookie, almond cookie dough or something. Right. And I thought to myself, okay, I can't marzipan. I don't even know what it means. Um, 
sugar cookies, what I kept coming up with, right? I kept coming up with sugar cookie and I get so much shit from my business partner about the word sugar cookie. He's like, how the hell did you come up with that? And I'm like, I don't know. I was sitting in my couch watching TV and tasting the whiskey, but you know, that's my quiet time when I kind of have time to reflect and I'm trying to think of something unique. Um, and I did have ice in it. You guys don't have ice in it to let it proof down, but that's kind of where I ended up with other flavors. So sugar cookie, sugar, cookie. sugar cookie. I would say like more like brown sugar. I mean, like when I when I get it, I get a little bit of like and almost like a creme brulee, like a like a toasted brown sugar almost. Okay, see, I I get something totally different. It's it's for sure, one hundred percent earth flavors. I mean, yeah, there's very leathery too. You got some of that stuff in there, but tobacco. What? We, no, you're not getting any of that. I just feel weird whenever you describe something. I drink like leather. <laughs> Yeah, we don't put tobacco in it. Like I sit leather. on leather in my car. I don't drink it. Yeah, I don't want to drink anything you sat on. <laughs> oh, no. That was a very good shot at Scott, by the way. <laughs> I guess nobody wants to sit on anything. No. <laughs> or drink anything that I've sat on. No. But. Yeah, so we were talking about the gift shop, right? So let's let's move on here. Because if we're talking about like... People I wanna, that want to get sugar cookie out of it. I'm looking at all of us in this room. None of us could have designed that beautiful gift shop. I mean, look no, at this absolutely all. not. No, I, don't know, I feel like I'm pretty put together this morning. Yeah, we all look like we're ready to go to the horse track and have hot dogs and draft beer and bet on two dollar horses. Wait, that wait, wait a minute. What are we leaving? <laughs> yeah. Hey, and that wraps up this podcast for today, everybody. So, so the gift shop. How how did it get so beautiful? Uh, that was actually the last thing on our minds. We had so many. A learning curve to overcome when you're building what I mean, being serious, you're building a factory. It is a small factory, but it is, it is a basically a factory and it is a high hazard operation. You think of alcohol fumes. So the story I gave you about, you know, burning off the alcohol and the rum in my kitchen, when you do it with high proof spirits that you're making and you have a rick house, that's serious shit, right? I mean, there's lives at stake, there's money at stake, there's a business at stake. So we had so many things to overcome with that. That was our biggest worry were the engineering pieces, sourcing equipment and such. The builder came to us one day and he said, Jack and Josh, today's the day. You have to make a decision on the gift shop. We're here. We got to build it. We got to do something. And we thought, oh boy, um, can you just build us a box and we'll decorate it later? It's not the way it works. So we hired a interior designer uh, who was friends with my business partner and uh, Joy Perkins is her name. Joy did a wonderful, fantastic job. She's done lots of decorating jobs for the Cincinnati Reds, one notable organization in some of their uh, luxury suites. She came out here and she just, boom, she nailed it. it she did. No, absolutely. I mm -hmm. think it is beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was the gift shop. That's the story of how, how it got to be so beautiful. It wasn't us. It was her. Right. If we designed it, there'd be like 17 recliners, two projectors with sports centers going on, and a full bar, and that would be all. I, I like the and cigars. Oh, and cigars. Cigars, yes. No, cigars. but you don't want to smoke cigars in a flammable facility. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to live life dangerously, right? You got to risk it. You know, risk it for the biscuit, right? <laughs> so This is why we can never open one. That's why we can't have nice things. Uh, so I was really impressed with just like the fact that a you're all's I love your lo your label your logo mm -hmm. how it looks you know it's got a unique um, especially the Boone County piece like it's it and Toby actually brought this up in a previous podcast and 
and the more I look at things, I, I actually see it um, like almost like a drip, like the the alcohol, how it comes off of the Glencairn glass or things to that nature when you look at it. So the logo is a uh, – the Boone County logo, when it's spelled out, some of the magic in that. If you take a look at the logo, you are going to see that the, the O in Boone County, the, the O in Boone and the O in County – Boone sits on top of county. It makes an eight. So the number eight appears in all of our marketing. So imagine like the Federal Express trucks driving down the road. You see Federal Express, but if you look close enough, you're going to see an arrow pointing Pointing towards the cab of the truck, pointing downwards. The same thing with our logo, Boone County. It's the second O in Boone and the first O in county. They connect. They're right on top of each other, and it forms an eight. The number eight came across in our marketing and our early research, it just kept popping up for a variety of reasons. Um, the, the first Rickhouse picture that we saw, it was uh, Rickhouse number, distillery number eight, I believe. Uh, the taxing district was taxing district number eight. There's a Kentucky Route 8 uh, in the alphabetical order of the order of counties in Kentucky for the alcohol code. This is County 008 Boone. It's higher up in the alphabet. And uh, plus, it's the luckiest number in the Chinese culture, which is, is really what pushes over the top. That is correct. Huh. I, didn't, I didn't know that. So the Chinese culture, eight. Learning yeah. something new every day. <clears throat> History and heritage right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, hey, Josh, we greatly appreciate the time we've spent with you. Um, I know that you probably want to tell us exactly how we can find you at Boone County and like website, Instagram, all that good stuff. And then. Another shameless plug for exit, you know, what is it, 138 or something? <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure, sure. So I would tell you this. <clears throat> Easiest thing for your audience, if you want to find us on social media, you're going to look up Boone County Distilling Company or Made by Ghost. Just put in those two search terms and you'll be fine. Google Boone County Distilling Company, Made by Ghost, you'll be fine. If you want to come visit us, we are on the Kentucky Craft Bourbon Trail. I would encourage folks to come visit us. Get your passport from the Kentucky Distillers Association. Get your passport stamped when you come here. They have it divided in regions for the Craft Bourbon Trail. If you visit all the regions in the northern section, which is ours, they give you a nice challenge coin. Beautiful challenge coin. If you complete all four regions in the state, they'll give you a little stave with places to put all of your challenge coins. It's pretty cool swag. Yeah, really cool. I actually didn't know that. I didn't know that either, actually. If you are in northern Kentucky, there is a place to visit, a, another trail to visit, if you will. It's called the Beeline. The Beeline also has a passport that you can get stamped, and it is a series of restaurants, bars, and distilleries. Not too many of them, but there's enough on there where you can have a delicious meal at one of the restaurants. You can go to a bourbon bar, uh, and I think to qualify, they have to have 150 bourbons or more, or visit one of the fantastic distilleries in northern Kentucky. If you choose to come to the Boone County Distilling Company, you're just going to look for the city of Cincinnati. It's the easiest waypoint. Interstate 75, exit 178 in Kentucky. It's 15 miles from Cincinnati, from downtown. And follow the signs. You'll see the big brown sign on the interstate. Just follow the arrows. Put it in Google, Google Maps. It'll take you here, too. And we offer 45-minute tours with 15-minute tastings. Uh, and I think you'll love any of the tour guides. They pretty much stay right on time. We give several tours a day. You can purchase those tickets online. You can't come to the distillery, unfortunately, at the tour time. You might risk not getting on the tour. We really try to limit those experiences to 15 people or less. 
if you get more than 15 people, it you lose control of the crowd and they don't get the intimate experience that we want to give them. So it's better to book those online and buy your tickets. Good deal. How much do those tours typically cost? Eight dollars. Eight dollars. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. <clears throat> well, thanks again for having us on. Um, if you want to reach guys. Bourbon Barrel Talk, you can reach us at Bourbon Barrel Talk um, on Gmail. You can also find us at www.bourbonbarreltalk.com. Um, this is Scott Mitten, Matt Jasnoff, Josh Quinn, and Toby Hatfield signing off. <laughs>